Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavik. This is the Ask a Painter Live show. I am Nick Slavik. I'm the host of Ask a Painter Live. I'm also the proprietor of the Nick Slavik Painting and Restoration Company. Let me zoom around my microphone here real quick as well. The Ask a Painter Live show is a weekly live show on Facebook where I basically use my 29, 30 years of experience doing this, uh, having getting started as a very young guy in this industry to basically highlight the life of a master craftsperson, paint business entrepreneur, uh, all the other inner goings ons of things like that. Um, Boy, we got a lot to update here. I've been taking notes all day here uh, for this show. This is a very special show. Uh, I don't have too many of these anymore. There are lots of uh, there's lots of special requests and underwriting for the show nowadays, and we love our underwriters. Uh, I have to prepare quite a bit for those shows. Uh, there are a lot of times there's many talking points. There's things I have to do. There's demonstrations that set up a while, but this is kind of an old school show. AMA, ask me anything. So tonight. As we're getting ready for this next week, as we're getting ready for the fourth quarter of 2023, tomorrow is, uh, you know, yesterday was the first day of October. Tomorrow is the first quarter, uh, excuse me, the first day of the fourth quarter of, uh, of 2022. Uh, we're all getting ready to finish off our year strong, the fourth quarter, uh, the final quarter of the year. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, like I said, this is an AMA show. Ask me anything. If we want to talk about oil primer, if you want to talk about recruiting, if you want to talk about job costing, uh, anything else that's on your guys' mind, I am here for that. I am going to hit my show notes. Please interrupt me. Comments in there uh, in the comment section. Anything you guys want to talk about, throw out a topic, throw out a question. Um, interestingly enough, I promised you guys, there's this thing called stars on Facebook. They started, uh, they started this a while ago. It's a way to sort of like people buy stars, they send them to me. And then eventually, uh, once they accumulate enough, uh, Facebook sends me the money from those stars. And as promised, I've gotten two checks now from Facebook. Uh, the second we settle down into probably November, December, when, uh, when the, you know, a season of my painting business settles down a little bit, we're going to crowdsource a way to use that stuff. I'm not going to use it for my own use. We're going to find some way to give back to the Ask a Painter live community. I'll show you exactly what that looks like, how much those stars were worth and all that other stuff. Nobody's going to get rich, but it's something. And I feel like it's such a cool thing uh, that I want to give back with all that stuff. So uh, having said that, um, I will first, as I usually do, talk about the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. So um, uh, the PCA has been around since the 1800s. It's absolutely wild. Oh, man. And I already see... uh, (laughs) uh, I already see the questions coming in. Uh, David, uh, good friend David, Best question to ask when recruiting new employees. Okay, Elliot Lund. Oh my God, here we go. Uh, Okay, these are awesome questions. So let me hit the PCA guys. I see Alan, I see Parker, I see Phil. Oh my God. All right, here we go. Um, The PCA, been around since the 1800. 
uh, hundreds. Uh, the goal is to build better contractors. That's the goal. We want to build better contractors for the purpose of giving the clients a better experience, for the purpose of reforming the industry, bringing, bringing the brightest minds in, uh, both with craft and money and business. And so that this whole industry professionalizes, whether you're a single person outfit or you're a hundred thousand, a hundred million dollar paint company, uh, we want people to be professionals. That's the big goal of that. Now there's a whole value proposition. When I travel the country and do the master's classes, um, you know, I basically give a very formal value proposition because I am there on behalf of usually an underwriter, uh, usually a local sponsor, and then the PCA. Uh, and I want to make sure that people out there understand what the PCA is. We have an insane painter's training program. You guys are already asking questions in the comments about apprenticeship program. There is a video library, a learning management system, quizzes, accreditation already there at the PCA. If you are already a member, you can put your entire company hundreds of employees if you have them through this whole thing at no extra cost. It's already there for you. We have it in English with videos. Um, we also have it in native Spanish speaking. Um, it is believed now that 63% of our industry is um, Hispanic, Latino, and there needs to be resources out there for them. If we were, uh, I believe we're kind of underserving that uh, community right now. And in order to serve them better, the least we can do is when we create an asset created in native Spanish speaking. And that's one of the goals over the next bunch of years is to make sure that those resources are out there. But for the painters training, they are out there and it's great. Um, my pet project, Jason Paris's pet project, uh, is business professionalization. Jason is living proof of it. I'm in, I'm living proof of it. We absolutely love, um, we absolutely love this sort of, uh, thing. It has brought uh, great freedom, both in time and money into our lives. And it doesn't mean you have to have a big business. Um, the biggest thing about business professionalization is going through, if I'm being honest, a series of sort of like boring, mundane, unsexy, seemingly unsexy steps to get your business running more smoothly with less friction. And uh, it actually does. And you can do it with your a single person business or whether you have hundreds of employees. It's just absolutely awesome. So I will say this. Yes, there's the painter's training. There's the program called the Business Accelerator, which basically is a cohort of you, a class you start with the PCA, where we put you through uh, the Business Accelerator, uh, the thing that Jason and I and a whole bunch of other people created. Uh, the beta group, the test group is going through right now, and it's absolutely awesome. We'll be making a big announcement later this year and early next year of getting this out to more people. It has changed my life, it has changed Jason's life, and it's going to change yours as well. We also have health insurance, we have standards, we have all sorts of other fun stuff. We have Overdrive, which is basically the Netflix of the painting industry. And I, I will say no more because it is Sunday night, we're all kind of on family time here, and there are tons of questions coming through, and I wanna hit these all because I haven't done an AMA show in a long time, and I want everybody to get value out of this thing. So Cristobal, amigo, uh, good to see you, my friend. David Delgado Candelas, my good friend from Pennsylvania. Best questions to ask when recruiting new employees. Okay, David, super unsatisfying uh, answer slash question, which is, um, I have got the best success when recruiting new employees by asking them what they did after high school and shutting up and letting them talk and letting them fill the blank space uh, in there. I'm going to get a little fuzzy on here. And letting them fill the blank space uh, in there and, and keep talking. Also, 
hardcore background checks, hardcore reference checks. These are things that most people don't do. People write down references, this and that, that's fine. I know people leave off bad references, but you'd be surprised how many times people leave in a reference where you call that reference and they're kind of like, nah, they weren't all that great. Now, there's a whole bunch of legal stuff um, uh, for, for legal reasons. Um, when somebody calls for an employment verification, all I basically tell that person is, yes, they work here or no, they did not work here or I have no idea who that person is. I don't get into any other things besides that. It can open you up for some liability and things like that. Uh, I never tell people's performance, how they did, any specifics about the job. Uh, I kind of skirt that line, but boy, there's a lot of other people when you call for a reference check, like, hey, do you know this person? And you be quiet, um, they tell you some stuff. So yeah, and if, put, if people put down uh, them as a reference, call them. So let them talk, number one. Number two, hardcore background and reference check. And, and number three, one of the best indications of a good potential, of an employee with good potential, a potential employee with good potential is that they have questions for you. Um, I cannot tell you. I've went, I just did a, a retrospective of like eight quarters of recruiting that I did going through all my phone interviews, in-person interviews and looking for through lines and things like that. So I can kind of innovate my process. And, um, I am surprised constantly on how many people sit there for a 15 or 20 minute initial phone interview before they qualify for an in-person interview. And we talk for 15 or 20 minutes and I'm asking them about them, their experience, what makes them happy, what motivates them, big achievements in their life, things like that, letting them talk, uh, asking them what they did after high school, letting them talk. And then when we get to the point, it's like, okay, now here's the part you waited for. Ask anything you want about me, this business, or the job. And they're like, no, I don't really have any questions. I'm like, wow, that's really interesting because we haven't even discussed pay. You're not even interested what this job pays. So you can tell how serious they are by something like that. Um, so those three things, Elliot Lund. Oh, love me some Elliot. All right. Hey, Nick, hope you had a great week. I did, which I'll get to later. Do you notice that, uh, you've had to price more aggressively as all the other, uh, painters compete for interiors? No, uh, Elliot. So this is probably more feelings than data. Uh, but there is data out there to prove it. Um, I believe that homeowners, residential homeowners, are largely underserved. There's not enough Elliot's. There's not enough Nick's. There's not enough David's. There's not enough uh, Phil Klein's out there to service them, professional contractors. So right now, um, I think at the heart of your question is winters are a little harder to get work. And I don't think that the, um, the reason is other painters. I honestly think it's just because people in the upper Midwest kind of shut down when it starts getting fall. People love this cozy fall weather, the pumpkin spice weather, and they start hunkering down and they get ready for Halloween. And then a few short weeks later, it's Thanksgiving. The Christmas tree goes up and Lord knows you never take on a project uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas because you've decorated. It's family stuff. We're, we're spending money. We're, we're doing stuff with people and it gets busy. So um, I've noticed that, uh, I will say this, uh, one of the bullet things on here is uh, marketing. Uh, I basically planned the entire year for the right now, October, November, December, January, February, March. Those six months are the biggest marketing months for me. We will expend the majority, the vast majority of our um, marketing budget during those months. And I don't think it's because of other painters. I literally think it's because of um, uh, just we don't have the option to do exteriors anymore. And it takes a lot more effort to get us into people's houses in the winter. So Elliot, there's a thousand little side roads 
forks in the road that I would love to go down with that stuff. We may get into that later in the show, but yeah, that's, um, boy, I got thoughts about that stuff. Um, Alan, welcome. How's it going, man? Uh, saw him at a master's class. Uh, when are you starting the, uh, when are you starting the mentorship program? So uh, a lot of people bring up the idea that I should have a, uh, a mentorship program, um, either train the trainer, uh, train the business owner, things like that. And, uh, Two things for you. Number one, business accelerator from the PCA is going to be the best for that because um, that is a masterful course. It's going to have a coaching cohort. It's going to have other people in it. And there are going to be people there and resources there for you that I couldn't possibly muster because I am one person running a business and I have limited time to do that stuff. So what I will say is anybody who has my email address, Alan, you have my email address. You can email me anytime and I'll give you any resource. It'll be in short little bits. It's usually very early morning before uh, I'm having coffee. I'm waking up for the day. I like to interact with some painter emails and I go on my time. Uh, I will never turn people down for help via email. Um, maybe I can uh, uh, spare time for a call sometime. And it's not because I am in such high demand. It's because uh, I have to devote time to my family and my business. And the Ask a Painter Live stuff is uh, is the time after that. So there is a clear priority in my life. And I will help painters as much as I can without affecting the first two of those things. So uh, Parker Johnson. Oh, man. Love me some Parker. A fellow new Prague guy, uh, fellow apprentice, master crafts person with me and uh, going for an MBA right now, I believe. So do you ever reach out to staffing agencies to help recruit or is recruiting an internal process? Why or why not? Yes. Um, boy, Parker Johnson, do I want staffing agencies to work? Uh, staffing agencies are typically people who offer you the least skilled, least employable, least educated of the workforce. Doesn't make them good. Doesn't make them bad. It's just the thing. And it's normally for temporary work. It's normally not for long-term placement of career and this and that. Um, where you see a lot of staffing agencies work at the uh, entry level positions are uh, seasonal jobs, you know, as retail, uh, uh, you know, there's a, uh, there's a um, greeting card printing factory that everybody knows from Instagram right down the road at Shakopee, Minnesota, and they ramp up huge. They ramp up huge. I mean, they could eight, 10 X their workforce in winter. And that's typically what you see with something like that. Um, boy, do I want that to work now, Parker, what I'm open to is that, um, there's a staffing agency, which is technically kind of like entry level position. And there's headhunters, which is technically like leadership position levels or very highly educated people. I'm open to the idea that there's something in between that I don't know about. I would actually like that to exist. Um, but what you find is that there's staffing agencies where if you need 20 people, they can find you 20 people. There's headhunter agencies where for somewhere between 10 and $40,000, they will go through a crazy interview headhunting process and find somebody who's currently doing the work at high level and sort of introduce you to them. It's a courting process, interviews, personality tests, and uh, things like that. And it's a very long, delicate process. I've actually done this on an executive director search uh, for the PCA uh, at one point. So uh, yeah, I, I have experience with both and I've not found success um, with that for my company though, if I'm being honest, Parker. So Phil Klein, a sponsorship to ask a painter live retreat. Ooh, I like that. So um, the, uh, the way that the master's classes and the retreats are going now is that um, 
they take a lot of coordination. There's a lot of moving parts. There's facilities, there's people, there's food, there's invites, there's underwriters, there's all the logistics and things like that. And what I'm finding is that there's a delay in us getting them on the website and uh, we will fix that. So right now, uh, in the show notes of this show, you can see my four next master's classes. Uh, those are the last four I have booked this year. I believe it's kind of my Midwest tour, which is really cool. Uh, it came together that way. Uh, the ask a painter live retreats. I have booked the next two ask a painter live retreats, but I'm knocking, uh, I'm, I'm making sure I nail down chef, uh, private chef, Jesse, the lodge and everything else. And just making sure that there's no big things like blind spots in it before I announce it. Uh, it'll likely be early August and early February. The the next winter retreat will likely be early February. The next summer retreat will likely be early August. Uh, exact dates and stuff to follow. I've already had people messaging me uh, from all over the place wanting to get in there. There will be an application process as normal only because I want to keep about 75% alumni, 25% new people. And I want a good mix of people in different stages of businesses, different sizes of businesses, perspectives. But you'll magically see the through line is open inclusive, aggressive, progressive, I mean, all those kind of fun things and thought leaders in our industry. So I promise you some good times and uh, make sure you watch out for more. So, all right, Jesse Allen, how's it going, Jesse? Maybe use those stars for a high school trade recruitment program in some way. Ooh, I like that. I know you have one going maybe in the city. So interestingly enough, sorry, I got to stretch my back here. Bow hunting and uh, just came in from there with my oldest daughter. So um, Jesse, uh, Honestly, one of the craziest, most liked static posts of my entire year has been the post where I went to my old alum, my high school, and I got a meeting with the principal and vice principal. And we talked about getting involved in the school. And my God, there's insane amount of comments and likes on that thing. But also what made me very happy was I got two dozen messages from local businesses and contractors, not just tradespeople, just like businesses in general saying, we all want to get involved. If you can get involved, Nick, bring us to, let's all collaborate. Let's get these kids into the local community and show them there's like super high level jobs, crazy careers right here in our little town in New Prague. Two other towns, neighboring towns also saw that and reached out and did that too. So now this, uh, evidently this hit a nerve and uh, people are very excited about it. So more to follow. Uh, I am going to get involved with my local high school, see how that works. And then we're going to go from there. So I can promise you there'd be more to follow on that. That would be fun to get those stars uh, for some sort of like fun outreach program for, for people younger than uh, 18 or in the high schools yet. So Todd Roberts, are there any marketing funnels that you prefer over others? Example, drip jobs. So there's marketing funnels. And I think by funnels, you mean like things that administer marketing. And then there's the actual marketing itself. Um, if you're asking what types of funnels uh, by methods of administering marketing, it kind of, there's a whole bunch of other, there's a whole bunch of softwares out there and, and there's, they're in our industry, outside of our industry. I mean, all sorts of crazy, robust, sometimes simple, sometimes crazily, um, uh, sophisticated stuff that you can use to actually create a funnel and track all that stuff. Um, in my company, you guys know where I come from. Uh, I don't use a lot of that stuff, not because I don't think it's good. I actually think a lot of it's amazing. But um, there's a process. I make my own stuff. There's a process when I make my own stuff. It allows me to architect it, understand it, know the ins and outs of it. And it forces me 
to, to start at one point, think all the process through so that I understand all of it. If I start with a outside piece of software, this is just me personally. Uh, my brain does not work this way. I'm not a compliance sort of guy. So if I have a piece of software that I need to comply with, it takes me a very long time and I get very frustrated. This is actually a weakness of mine to actually comply with this software. So I know that I, if I'm going to take time, I would rather architect it all myself. My stuff is insanely simple. It's mainly just a series of spreadsheets or documents or things like that that help me process this stuff. The good thing is simple and I understand it all. The bad thing is I'm sure there's things that I will need it to do it someday where I can't, and then I'm going to have to do one of those. So, um, Jimmy, if, oh, sorry, not Jimmy, uh, Todd, Todd, if your, if your question is what is the best administer or tracking or funnel software for marketing? Um, honestly, drip jobs, like you mentioned, and a whole bunch of others that serve our industry are great. The best one is the one you actually comply with and use all the time. Honestly, um, way even back from high, uh, excuse me, even from college, the thing I've heard over and over the best practice with a piece of software or an app for your business is you need to have a champion within the company. Most of the time, the champions us because we're the visionary, we're the um, we're the head of the company. A lot of times, we're the only one in the company. We have to be the champion. If you have a large team, I would appoint somebody whose mind is uh, of the more compliance method, or that this piece of software or app will help, and I would make them the champion, and then give them a timeline to adopt it, train you along the way too. Having a champion, having somebody that says you're going to be rated on whether this is effective or not, or whether we actually implement it magically, it'll get done. So um, I can accuse myself. Uh, I've had CRM, customer relationship management, which is sort of like marketing funnel. Marketing funnel or a sales funnel is actually part of a CRM. Um, I've had CRM on my to-do list for three years. And honestly, it's been a non-starter every time. I look into some stuff. I see that I'm not going to be able to comply with it, that I'm going to have to be the champion and it's going to take a while and I don't do it. And so far I've made my own and it's worked, but I think I now know what needs to happen, which is I need to pick somebody on my leadership team to be the um, champion of it. And it'll actually probably get done then. So they're super effective at that stuff. And I'll probably tap one of them and uh, beg them pleading uh, to help me out and be the champion of that stuff. So, but if you're talking about marketing avenues, that's a whole other thing. I just, oh my Lord, I just handed in my six month marketing plan. Well, handed in, I handed it into myself. I've been working with the team uh, for about two months. Um, in September, we do experiments. We get some results of those experiments. And then we just go hardcore out there uh, for the next six months. And my goal is to overwhelm our company and our production team with leads and then sold jobs in the winter, which is a very tough thing to do, as uh, Elliot Lund was saying there, too. So uh, this is the most intentional year I've ever. This is the most intentionality I've ever placed into a marketing plan. We have more data than ever, which you guys know I am a huge fan of. I also have a lot of feelings and I think I've crafted something that will be trying to hit my budget, but also hopefully will drive a whole bunch of leads. We're trying two main new things this year, which is social media marketing, which in the past I have not done well with, uh, admittedly. Uh, you would think that with the Ask a Painter and everything else, it does well, but people often forget that this is for other painters. It's not necessarily for clients or even in my area. So um, unless I'm selling paint jobs in Brazil, uh, this whatever avenue that you guys are watching now is usually not going to work out that well. So 
um, yeah, but it's going to be fun. Email marketing and social media marketing. And, uh, yeah, we'll find out if it's any good. And you guys know that, uh, I love the data and the data will probably come up in the future sometime as I work my way through the winter here. So, uh, Iram Ramos. Good to see you, my friend, Jimmy Coolman from Texas. Oh man. You know what? I have not done a master's class in Texas yet. I would love to get down there. So Jimmy, uh, if you want to contact the PCA or me, we should see if we can't get a Texas master's class. I'm feeling like uh, Austin, San Antonio would be fun. Something like that. Uh, I would love to go down there, especially in the winter. So um, from Iowa, Iram. Uh, so I'm going to be coming to Nebraska, uh, I believe sometime in November. And I know it's probably a halfway, you're probably about halfway between uh, me and where I'm going to be in Nebraska, most likely Omaha. So uh, man, if there's any way we can see each other, that'd be great. If not, uh, Minnesota Masters class on my home territory. We are going to the Graco World Headquarters. The World Headquarters of Graco, Wagner, and Titan are actually right up the road here in Minnesota. I'm going to Graco. They have the craziest facility you've ever seen. They have the robots there and everything else. And they're going to be hosting me uh, along with Sherwin Williams for a, a Masters class. And it is awesome. So, Iram, you have two options one to the west, one to the north. If I can come see you for a Masters class or you can come see me, that would be awesome. So, all right, here we go. Here's a good one. Sean Sullivan, what types of financing and credit does your business utilize? None. We do not, um, we do not offer financing for any of our projects. Um, interestingly enough, I know there's a bunch of great companies out there that offer this. I know there's a bunch of great companies that offer this that do really well with it and have a lot of value to their clients. The problem for me is I've always had this like one through line through growing my company, which is I don't have unlimited time or money, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time addressing anything that's not on fire, anything that doesn't need fixing, or anything that won't add immediate value. So far, not one client, I mean, we do five or 600 paint jobs a year for people. Um, not one client has ever asked for financing. The ones who, who get the closest to ask for financing ask if they can pay with a credit card. And I think that's just as good. I think, honestly, nowadays, a lot of my clients are insanely savvy financial people, uh, financial operators, and they have these crazy travel cards with benefits, uh, cash back cards. And a lot of times they do exactly what I do, which is I got a company credit card. I pay it off every month, but I hammer, hammer, hammer every expense I can through the company to capture all those ancillary benefits, which there are many, many <laughs> that you should do. Uh, so I think a lot of my clients, instead of just financing to put the, to put the payment off in the future, um, I think a lot of them actually use credit cards, get the points and then pay it off anyway. So it's almost like, you know, with financing, with straight financing, you're paying a finance charge for it to extend your payments with a credit card. Uh, a lot of these people, uh, even if they do not pay it off over three to six months, they're still getting this weird ancillary benefit. So, and it's self done. There's no external company that has to do it. Um, Sean, this is not me saying it's a bad idea. This is me saying that right now, it doesn't seem like something we need to offer. I'm not sure how many people would even take us up on it, but if you do, I'd like to hear your experience. So, all right. Do you have a general, oh, Drew, how's it going? Do you have a general SOP document for various job types? Yes, I do. I have them for every single thing you could possibly do. 
Um, if you email me, Drew, Nick at NickSlavic.com, you probably have my email address already. I know we've talked. Uh, I can send you copies of mine. Uh, I would love to. And that's an open invitation for everybody, too. I've been, uh, I can tell when uh, when painters have time, uh, usually in the fall, if there's a little hiccup in their schedule or something or they have some downtime, they start going through YouTube and they start going through Instagram and Facebook and looking for uh, things to improve their business. And I get a lot of I get a lot of traffic at that time. And people start, you know, because I readily share a lot of my resources and people will. Uh, I, I noticed that when uh, when that fall kind of slump hits, uh, people will start emailing me more. They've been watching YouTube videos, working on their business, and I uh, share a lot of resources. And it's open invitation for everybody. So, all right. Oh, my friend Jim Callahan. Here we go. According to Nick Slavic, what are the top qualities of effective leadership? Oh, sweet Jesus, Jim Callahan. Um, I've devoted the last five years of my life to this. Uh, I do not have perfect answers for you. I can tell you my data and my feelings up to this very minute of what I feel is a good leader. Uh, but for that, there is situational leadership. And then there's um, leader. Yeah, situational leadership is more of like, if you're leading a paint crew, there's a couple qualities that make you very effective. On the ground, me with a couple apprentices, it's having a plan and holding people accountable to that plan, but doing it in a happy, empathetic, energetic sort of way there. So in my company, we actually have a document called active leadership and active planning where teachers like you, Jim, are really good at this, where you have a curriculum, you have a plan and you have tests to make sure your, uh, um, uh, I was going to say employees, your students hit those tests. Most companies do not do anything like that. And the trades certainly don't. So the most effective leader at the ground level is somebody who shows up, is excited, is confident, and they make a plan. And the plan is on paper and the plan you take to the wall for the tradespeople to see. And then you assign things on that plan. And then almost to the point of being exhausted, checking in, holding accountable, building morale, things like that. Constant, constant interaction, constantly training, correcting, pushing, uh, interacting, things like that uh, to get a job done. And we find the crews who do that are probably 30 to 50% more likely to get an amazing paint job, get it under budget and make a super happy client and then make them eligible for raises. So at the ground level, that's it. When you move up to like the leadership team of a company and, and um, I'm going to break this down into three simple tiers. There's the ground level, which is I'm leading a paint crew. The next level, which is leadership team. Now you got to be more. You just have to be more. You can't be, you can't, you need to be self-starting. You need to find things to do that you were not told to do. You need to overachieve. You need to always do a little more knowing that you have a supportive team that will always take care of you and, and, and pay for that time and, and bonus you in a way where your extra time is actually worth something. Um, I know that there are a ton of bad employers out there. People do a lot of extra work for it and don't get rewarded. The key is be a good leader and then find a supportive employer uh, that will do that. We also need somebody with some life experience and some wisdom to be able to interact with other people. And you, you should not be, be needed to be told to hold somebody else accountable. And that can be like a harsh phrase. People always think you need to confront somebody and tell them about all their faults. Accountability is just simply like, Hey, listen, your goal is to get 15 estimates done this week. Are you going to do it? And when that person says, yes, then you have to say, show me the plan, how you do that. Open your calendar and let's see those estimates. Now, if you're going to fault, if something's going to go wrong, show me where that fault's going to be. And you know what? I'm going to check in with you every morning to see how it's going, to see if there's any way I can support you. And then in the middle of the day, I'm going to check on you and see if you're on track or off track. If you're off track, I'm going to, I'm going to be here to support you. And we're going to work on it together because we're going to guarantee you a win working on this together. 
If you need my help, I'm here for you. Leadership team stuff. Now, when you get to my level, the owner of the company, the risk and reward um, level of this leads into the style of leadership. When you are an employee of a company, you trade your time for money, and there's not much risk in that at all. In fact, you can put your foot through a coffee table and as an employer, I still have to pay you. Now you may lose your job, but I still have to pay you for that time. There's not much risk. Uh, there's a good reward, but it's not, it, you can't move your lot in life crazy fast, unless you're in my company with our new comp plans. Uh, when you move to a leadership team, now you have base pay, you have some benefits, company car, uh, uh, health insurance, retirement, things like that. But then you have a bonus. So that means your direct input into the company and your actual performance can drive your pay way up or leave it where the base pay is. Now with me, my risk and reward profile is such where I could actually lose money and go into debt for this company. I could choose to go into debt for this company for a jump in growth or because there's people I want to invest in uh, to foster their life, their career, and uh, and see that they do something uh, great and, and be a good supporter of that. Um, most employees would never be willing to risk um, losing money for their job. And I don't blame them. That's not what they signed up for. But if you wanna own the company, um, you need to be able to risk a lot, but also then you may get a huge reward, which is why we do this stuff. Um, there is so much risk in owning a business that you need to price the reward accordingly, and you need to have a different style of leadership. With the leadership team, you need to be self-directed. You, you should be really good with accountability. You should be really sophisticated in your interpersonal reaction. You should just be able to have a conversation with another adult in a professional way that furthers both of you. Now, when you're a business owner, you have to be a visionary. You have to look out to the future and think of things that you don't even know you need to think of yet. Um, every three to six months for the last five or six years, I've ran a business that's been completely different than the last three to six months before that. And I can try to guess what lies ahead. I can talk to other paint businesses who have gone through that, but there are thousands of things over the years that I did not prepare for. I didn't know existed, but were presented to me and I had to do something with them. Otherwise my business could have gone away. If that makes you crumble, you're not going to be a good leader. If that keeps you up at night, you might be a good leader, but how you deal with it uh, will depend on if you're a good leader or not. Ultimately it's accountability. Businesses fail because of accountability. Um, and ultimate accountability is, well, this estimator, this project manager isn't hitting all their numbers. They're a bad person. Now you have to take it a couple levels up to the business owner and say, well, maybe you just recruited the wrong person. This person may not be hitting their numbers because you didn't do a good enough job of bringing a right person in. So the one thing that I really try to impress on the apprentices, the craftspeople, the leadership team in my company is the more accountability you can muster, the more you're, a, you're willing to risk for a bigger reward, you're going to be a better leader. Now, day-to-day -day nuts and bolts leadership, the one thing that somebody on my leadership team pulled me aside a couple of years ago and said that was actually really effective was, Nick, the happier you are, the better performance people have. And I got raised in a grumpy painting company where there's a lot of screaming, do it better, do it faster. Um, so I naturally carried that over into my company. I was a very hardline boss. I have learned over the last five or six years that two things I tell myself every day when I wake up, you need to be empathetic. You need to put yourself in everybody's shoes and you need to ask if I was in this person's shoes right now, what would I need from a good boss, a good leader, a good employer, 
a good master craftsperson, a good entrepreneur. That's tough sometimes because I don't know what people want. But also, you need to die on the hill of standards. Nobody's going to uphold your standards like you are. My leadership team does an awesome job. My craftspeople do an awesome job. My apprentices do a great job. But when the but when the standards need to be upheld, the culture of this company comes from me. The standards come from me. The future comes from me. And you need to be that person for your company that sets the tone for all those things. I heard somebody say, oh man, um, Thursday night in Nashville for a master's class. This is the most unique master's class I've ever done. There was a business professor, a guy with a doctorate in business, a professor at an entrepreneurship college who gave the Thursday lecture at the master's class. And then Friday added mine, which made me super nervous. Uh, I have the notes written down exactly. And this is one of my biggest takeaways. I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but basically what I took away was everybody that you've gathered up in your company needs you to be the strong, empathetic, happy, inspirational leader. If you're not, you're failing them. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do because I have payroll due every week. That's a lot of money. And sometimes we don't produce enough to make payroll. And you could come into work the next week and be super grumpy and say, you people didn't produce enough. You put me in a financial hardship. I thought about it all weekend. It ruined my time with my family. That's not their problem. You started this business. You choose to start the business. You chose to grow it big. You chose to recruit that person. They chose to be here, but you chose to put the ad out and everything else. Now you owe them a happy, empathetic leader, but somebody who will also die on the hill of the standards and the core values of your company. That's, that's my current thoughts, Jim Callahan, on leadership. Um, I am an imperfect leader, as most people are, but I feel I am a little more imperfect leader because of the way that I was brought up in this industry. And uh, honestly, I've, I, you guys have always heard me say I've been around for 29 or 30 years. For 25 of these years, I have not been intentional in this industry. I've worked very hard. I've learned many, many things. I've progressed in life greatly because of that 25 years. But everything I know of leadership happened in the last five or six years. And this even in, excludes my time in college. Uh, my college education was great. I love it. It changed me as a human, but it did not prepare me for running a business. It prepared me for being a mid-level manager in a Fortune 1000 corporation somewhere, doing a job that's hard to describe. It did not prepare me for this. I wish it would have, um, but I don't know that many college educations will. Uh, so Jim, that was a very long explanation for something I'm very passionate about. I hope that helps. And Jim, you know, you got my personal phone number. You have a personal invite to the deer blind out there, which Jim donated a door from a 1950s house that I restored and put on that shack when we restored Jim's house. Uh, Jim, not only because of that, just because you're a good guy and a friend of mine. You have an open invitation to the Deer Shack. We'll have a glass of bourbon, and uh, we can discuss leadership uh, at length. <laughs> uh, David, uh, hope to see you in Albuquerque. Oh, man, come on. I don't miss that. That's the big show. That is the World Series. That's the Super Bowl of what we do, the PCA Expo. So uh, we, I, I believe it is in February, but check the PCA website. It's going to be absolutely awesome there. So, 
Do, 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 do. Here we go. Blair, South Louisiana. We're always working in the winter, <laughs> but then we get the calls to repaint kitchens or interiors in time for the holidays. Yes. We also get those last rush sort of things. And uh, Blair, one of the things that we've done in the past, we have taken decorations off of Christmas trees. We have moved trees. We've moved them back. We've redecorated Christmas trees. It is go time. Uh, December is usually the time where we do a big donation project as well. Uh, and sometimes with other painting companies. So it's kind of a fun time there. So Thomas Powell, how's it going good to see you carlos my good friend from minnesota fellow uh, master crafts person and paint business entrepreneur love following carlos uh he's growing a company too it's so fun he's so energetic and uh yeah absolutely loves this so all right uh <laughs> parker what other events activities would you like to add to your leadership retreats yeah so uh we've done winter and we've done summer i've done um yoga uh, where we get a private yoga instructor to come in to do some flexibility and agility and stuff. We've done breathing exercises with Noah Cantor from Vermont, which is my favorite. I just absolutely love that. We've done snowmobiling. We've done spearing. We've done luxury ice fishing. We have done uh, Moomba, wakeboard, wake surfing boat. We've done party barge. Uh, man, what we've done private chef, all this other stuff. Um, I would like to... so. Part of the retreats is everybody gets an ask of the people in the group and people spend a lot of time. These are like college level theses and projects where people come with data and logic and reason and stories, and they get to ask this brain trust to help them solve a problem, get permission to do something for advice for the future or something. And that's amazing. So if we did an event, if we did a thing within a retreat, at least in the ones in Minnesota, it would have to not take up an entire day only because, you know, we kind of have to like, we got to get to these asks. But Parker, I think what you might be getting at is I think it's time to take this thing on the road. These are becoming insanely popular and they're some of the most meaningful things that I've ever done. And, uh, you know, this is something that I set out to do, um, decades ago. I wanted to be part, I wanted people to be part of something where they were raving fans of it where it meaningfully changed their lives and we forged lifelong friendships from it. And that's exactly what it's turning into. So I think we need to take the show on the road. Uh, people have actually been giving me some suggestions. I've got some Oklahoma stuff. Uh, I've got some Nashville and we're looking for luxury retreats uh, where, where it's easy to fly in, give or take and, uh, and go from there. So Parker, you uh, Parker is one of my high speed young, he started off as an apprentice. I did a little bit of work on, uh, as a craftsperson and then leadership team and uh, college education, uh, army veteran and, uh, probably still in, I believe, and uh, going for his MBA right now, Parker, if you want to get involved in that stuff, man, uh, I would love your ideas. You got fresh ideas all the time and you're super progressive in that stuff. So I am, I am all ears, Mr. Johnson. I'm a big fan of yours. So, Oh, Danilo. Oh, <laughs> but noche, my friend, uh, from down in Brazil, uh, miss you guys. Uh, man, I want to come see you guys again. Uh, that would be absolutely fun to go down there. So Peter Balfast, uh, Peter from Australia, you're never going to believe this. Um, we've just restarted talks to go to Australia. Uh, this is wild, right? So house painter from Minnesota, uh, been to Brazil a few times, traveled around. And now uh, in the year of 2020, before um, before the zombie apocalypse and uh, COVID happened, we actually started talks with some people, some underwriters down in Australia to come down and uh, do the big tour and meet the people and do the talks and the things like that. And then obviously that got put on hold with uh, COVID and all this other stuff. Those talks have just restarted. So Peter, um, I can maybe connect you with the people who have been talking to me. Maybe you can put a 
a good word for me and let's get this done because I think a house painter from Minnesota going to Australia on a uh, on a cultural exchange for master crafts people would be one of the coolest things ever. And I would love to tell my grandkids that I did it someday. Also, I would like to meet Peter, you in person. And I would like to meet a whole bunch of other people who do what I do from across the world. So I think that would be absolutely wild. So, oh boy, here we go. Anthony, you know me well, my friend. So I start a lot of my master's classes, you know, with your name, where you're from, size of business, you know, this, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then I usually ask for a biggest win, um, uh, biggest win for the year so far. And also your biggest hiccup. Um, I'm going to do a show on my biggest hiccup before the end of the year. I can promise you guys that uh, and it's a leadership lesson. Of course, what's your biggest win for the year? We've got my business to a place now where it has been, it is now the most stable, the most predictable and the most fun it has ever been. And it has been a long five or six years growing from zero to, I don't know, what do we have? 40 people now in, uh, in this plus subcontractors and stuff like that. I am having the time of my life and I love the people that we've gathered up around here doing this with me. Um, we're at, I still think we're at the baby stage of professionalization, but we're enjoying some of the stability and the fun and the profitability of that now. And it only goes up from here, which is fun. It's a promise I made to my team that I'm gladly following through with. And we're seeing the results. Biggest hiccup is a leadership lesson. Uh, I probably won't get into too much right now, but, um, one of the lessons in life, injustice is just something that eats me to my core, eats me to my core. I cannot stand it. Um, I have to limit the, <laughs> the type of news that I take in because obviously if, if injustice is a thing that bothers you and you listen to the goings-ons of the greater world, there's a lot out there for you and there's a lot up there to keep you at night. So sadly, uh, I feel very bad sometimes, but I have to focus my life into the, the, my uh, spheres of influence of the things that I can control. Um, biggest, biggest hiccup is way worse than a hiccup is not removing people from my company sooner and pouring thousands of hours of my emotional bandwidth, my team's emotional bandwidth and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars of wages and training and understanding into these people for people that didn't share my core values. Um, my ego probably got in the way of a lot of this. I probably thought we could turn these people around. Um, there were people who were good. And as my company professionalized, they did not come with us. And the more accountability we had, the more standards we had, the more performance, the more data we had, then there was really kind of like, you kind of had to perform. And if you didn't, I, we coached the living hell out of you. We poured our resources into these people. And there's only a couple, but it was a great, it was a great leadership lesson. And it broke my heart to see the, see them leave. Cause they were with me for a while, but the toll that they took on me and my leadership team in the form of our emotional bandwidth was crippling. It was literally crippling. And I had one member of my leadership team come to me in tears, basically saying, I'm just depleted. This is taking the life out of me. It's not necessarily the work hours or the work itself. It's we are pouring our lives into some of these people and they don't show any sign of reciprocation or even wanting to be here. And meanwhile, we're just confused. 
we're absolutely confused. I would never look somebody in the eye and say, we are the best employer, the best job, the best whatever. But my God, this is a good opportunity for people. And you're never going to find a more supportive team than me and my team. If you want to go from no formal education, no formal training, and most of the time, not even a great resume, just a track record of some jobs here or there every six or nine months. If you want to come to a place, a good employer where you actually have a chance of doing something crazy, this is it. And when somebody, we can understand if this is not for somebody, if they're just like, Hey, you know what? Uh, we had one person in the first week of their apprenticeship program say, you know what? I thought painting would be fun. Turns out I don't like painting at all. I'm just going to go back to my other job. And you know what? That person got a hug and a handshake for me. I said, great. I'm, I'm glad you're being honest. I like you as a person. Thank you for being honest. I completely understand. That's fine. But when some people, when some people take up arms against me and my team, in an escalating way, the more support we pour into you, that's confusing to me. You could just say no and quit if you want. But when you start retaliating against us, the more we care and empathize for you, that's a tough thing to handle. And it, and honestly, it is my fault. It is 100% my fault um, for not understanding that that's a person that doesn't want to be here. And they really like the pay. They really like the benefits. They really like everything that this has to have. They're just not willing to do what it takes to do the minimum thing that will keep you employed in a full-time job. And after begging, pleading, and yearning, and begging and pleading and yearning again, if that person doesn't respond, they're only going to take a toll from there. And that's a good leadership lesson uh, on my part, which is you got to give everybody every chance to succeed. If they respond to it, you give them more chances and more chances. If they don't, coach them, develop them, empathize with them. But if they don't respond to that, you got to put them on a plan that says, listen, here's a time period. If you don't do this thing in that time period, there's nothing I can do for you. It shows me you don't want this job or it shows me that this is just not for you. No harm, no foul, but you got to put an end to that because if you're willing to give, people are willing to take. That is a, that is a sure thing. But the good thing is, um, boy, lessons learned in that. And uh, we are a strong, better, super slick company because of that. And uh, I wish I would have had those lessons earlier on so I could not go through that. But I think it's the, I think people will give you, <laughs> there's no paint mysteries. And even when you get into job costing at this point for me and estimating, there's really no mysteries about this anymore, about the clinical, the closer you are to numbers, the less mysteries there are for me. It's the people, Anthony, you know that I'm not telling you anything you and your wife don't know about running a business. Um, I have now got to the level where it's all people and I'm glad to be there, but it is a huge burden as a leader. What are you willing to risk? What are you willing to reward? And I'm willing to risk a lot, but it does take a toll on myself, my family, and the other people in the company. So we got to be better. We got to be better. There'll be a whole show on that, but I'm glad I have those lessons. They, they make me very strong. So <laughs> ah, I was just watching the video of cabinet refinishing on Facebook. Oh, David, absolutely. That's one of my most viewed. Um, when I went through my SOP, it's likely that, uh, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is uh, at the start of the year, I go through like a whole um, mastering the basics. Uh, I've done this for like two years now where we go back through like everything, how to professionalize your business, the basics of cabinet finishing, things like that. And I absolutely love those shows. I love them. Mastering the basics. They are my most viewed shows. And I time them specifically uh, when people have downtime in their business and they can actually start uh, start messing with that stuff. So more of that to follow. Um, unnamed Facebook user. Wow. I didn't know we could have uh, unnamed Facebook users. That's wild. Uh, master's classes are on the PCA's website. 
how do you go about finding the work that made you successful today? I might need to know a little more about that. If you're talking about how I find the specific painting jobs, uh, we can go into that. Otherwise, uh, let me know, uh, Michael, uh, what uh, a little more specifics about that so I can answer a little more pointed. Because otherwise, I feel like I could talk forever about something like that. So, oh, man, Blair, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, Louisiana, one of the most pivotal, pivotal, pivotal points in my life came at the PCA Expo in uh, Louisiana. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was a very interesting time. Uh, we had a debate on the main stage in front of the entire expo. There must've been five or 600 people there. We debate, we, we got into two teams. I was brand new to everything. Hadn't really been around that long. Nobody knew who I was. And the first question to me was, Nick, you're one of those, um, hipsters with the beard and the slick back hair. Justify yourself. You seem fake. And I systematically took down the uh, the person, the moderator of that panel saying, you know, this is, I, I described my life a little bit, the things that I've done and the reason behind a lot of this stuff and that the beard and the hair were just superficial, but I lived the lifestyle of a craftsperson and I have bled this trade for years and got a standing ovation. And it was really weird. Nobody ever got it on uh, film or on camera or anything, but it was a pivotal moment in my life where um, I don't really do that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm certainly not aggressive towards other humans, but uh, at that point, it just clicked. It made sense, and it was good. And actually, I'm friends with that person, that moderator, right now. So it's a, it was a really cool thing. So <laughs> it was really fun. But I have a soft spot for Louisiana. Sean, I was referring to financing and credit uh, that you utilize for your business expenses. Oh, not your clients. Oh, oh, Sean, I am so sorry. I went down a path about uh, uh, stuff. Yes. So um, one of the best advice I got early on was find a good banker, find a good financial advisor, uh, and find a good accountant for that reason. I have a very good cadre of those people. And one of the things that I ask initially when I look to work with somebody like that is, are you willing to give me advice a couple times a year? I'm not going to sit down and like tell, ask you to tell me what to do. But if I just, you know my books better than I do, you know my banking better than I do, would you ever be open to just giving me some advice? And I won't hold you to it. And uh, the people I've gathered actually do that. And I love it. I absolutely love it. They're almost like a weird ad hoc board of directors. Um, so I use a, uh, a, a Spark MasterCard with 2% cash back for everything in the business. I've looked into all the other cards. Yes, I could probably exploit a few more uh, resources, but that's actually um, one of the ways that I finance the company. I run everything through the company that I can through that every month. Um, in winters in the past, when it's been really big leaps and uh, growing, I've used that in a combination with a line of credit. I have a very large line of credit through my bank. Again, get a good relationship with a banker in your town. They know you, they'll work with you. Um, those two things, those, those um, temporary sources of cash that you pay back weeks or months later uh, are very useful uh, to the growth of a company like this because it's very hard to bootstrap this with cash. And very few people are great money handlers in our industry. Uh, I happen to be pretty good with just basic finance. Uh, I don't like debt that much. And uh, I'm very frugal uh, with a lot of uh, the ways that we do things. So I've always been good at saving and things like that. And uh, between cash, between a credit card and between a line of credit, I've been able to manage this pretty well. We're getting a little more sophisticated as we grow with, uh, you know, I used to just pay cash for vehicles. And now I'm probably going to just do loans for them to amortize them over a period of time because cash is much, very much more valuable than the few percent you pay in that. Um, 
but yeah, I think that, I think that probably answers it. Yeah. Uh, referring to financing and credit that you, Oh, back to the banker. Um, so part of a CEO group I'm in, we actually had a old retired banker who's been around for 60, 70 years in the industry. And, uh, we think sometimes that you fill out some application to a bank, they run it through some machine and it tells you how much money you can get or whatever else. There's a lot of subjectivity in banking. Um, and if you're looking for a loan for your business, a line of credit, uh, something that's not just opening a checking account, like you're actually asking the bank for money, you can actually go there and make a presentation and lobby to the bank lending board or the board of directors of the bank. Because really what it comes down to is if you have a really good advocate, I have a great uh, bank, I have a great advocate within the bank. When I go for some money, when I go for something different, when I want to up my line of credit or something like that or ask for advice, this person already knows me. So when they sit down at that lending board or whatever board that they have to do to approve, because it's usually not just one guy that approves something like that, um, they actually either lobby for or against that thing. They say, oh my God, this person's been around for 15 years. They've never missed a payment on this. They bought all their personal uh, assets through us on another account there. And uh, honestly, they've, they've never really missed a payment. They've always added more and more and they have a great track record of this. If you're a stranger in that bank and don't have that, I would ask if you could almost make a presentation to that in order to set that baseline of like, hey, here's my track record. You guys have my finances, but here's my plans in the future. Here's how I plan to do it. Trust me. As much as a banker can trust me, I'm going to do this. And here's the reasons why. If you don't have a relationship like that, Sean, I would get one with a bank. But just know that there's subjectivity in your line of credit, whether they're going to give you a loan, things like that. And you can actually get in there and like lobby for that, which is something I didn't know years ago, but I do know now. So uh, Jay Rivers. What city do you paint in? Uh, I am located in New Prague, Minnesota, and we service most of the southwest and southwest metro in Minnesota. Oh man, David, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the compliment. So, <laughs> oh man, Jim, Whew, think a lot of this sort of thing going through my principal program. It's nice to hear perspective and someone outside the realm of public education. Jim, I will tell you this, this is hilarious. This is the snake eating its tail, the Earl Burroughs stuff. I actually go to like Mr. Giesen. Uh, in town here, my kid's principal, who I went to school with, and I ask him for recruiting advice, uh, interview advice, leadership advice. And so it's fun. It's I go to outside industries, your industry, Jim, the education industry to get that sort of thing. And you come to my industry and that's how it should be. So yeah, uh, Jim, you would be an absolutely phenomenal principal. If there's anything I can ever lend it as far as, you know, my experience and stuff too, please let me know. And Lord knows I'm going to be tapping you for information as well too. So do, 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 do. Do you have a link uh, for November 4th in Minnesota, Pete? No, sorry. I am so sorry. The PCA website is behind a little bit on putting these up here. Uh, I can tell you this, uh, Pete, if you contact uh, Sherwin-Williams, uh, Graco is hosting it, but Sherwin-Williams is going to be the main administrator and underwriter of this thing. If you contact any of your Sherwin-Williams people, especially if you can get to like Spencer or Ryan at the kind of like city district level, they have all this information. It will be released soon, but otherwise keep contacting me and the PCA to get that up and we'll take care of it for you. So Alan, that's awesome. Uh, Peter down in Australia, uh, I will be tapping you soon, uh, in a bit here. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Uh, do, 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 Blair, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, guys, it is an hour. 
I've been doing this for an hour. Uh, I think I'm going to go back on family time now, rest up. Uh, we're starting a class of apprentices. I didn't get to hardly anything on my list. You guys came with so many good questions. Um, we're starting a new class of apprentices and we're trying something very new tomorrow. Uh, based on all the learnings we have, I'll tell you how the results go after this quarter or later on. And I uh, uh, hope to see a lot of you guys at master's classes and other PCA events. It has been uh, literally some of the most meaningful interactions in my professional life getting out there with these um, with these master crafts people and business owners from all over the country. And uh, it changes the way that I do business. It changes the way that I am as a, as a husband, father, painter, all that other stuff. And uh, so I would urge you guys, if you have not got out there to another event, doesn't even have to be mine. Um, go see Chris Moore, uh, who's a business advisor uh, at a Sherwin-Williams event or something else. Uh, go to another PCA event, get involved with other people in a local gathering group, but interact with other people. It is the greatest, it is the greatest thing ever. So, all right, everybody, I'm signing off. Thank you guys for an awesome AMA show. Ask me anything. And uh, God, I hope we can do another one of these soon. Uh, talk to you later, guys. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.